This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this, this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking riding in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, I was talking to someone online the other day who I'd been talking to about our podcast, and this person said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go and listen. So a few days later, she comes back and says, oh, I, I listened to I listened to your podcast. It was really good. You guys have, you know, great chemistry and I really enjoyed it. And I said, Oh, which one was it? And she says, The one about the geese. <laughs> we're kicking geese in the butt one word at a time. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. That's what we're doing. We're kicking farm animals in the butt one 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 word at a time here on the Taylor Stevens show. But for people who listen not for uh, assistance in raising animals or growing plants. We also have people that listen <laughs> to get writing <laughs> advice. And you had the most wonderful email. You received the most wonderful email from an author named Max Folsom the yes. other day. Can you read that? Yes, this is just spectacular. And, I, and we, we've gotten a lot of, we do get a lot of praise for the show. I get it in emails and, you know, Facebook comments and stuff. I, I, I'm not real good about staying on top of collecting those, my bad, or even always reading them. Um, I just, I get overwhelmed sometimes by how much goes on and I drop a lot of balls, but this one I have readily <laughs> available <laughs> and it says, Taylor, I want to thank you because I just got the exciting news that my first book, One Bad Day After Another, just made the shortlist for the Arthur Ellis Unhanged Award from Crime Writers of Canada. I had to edit it myself for financial reasons, and I did it by using your podcasts. I can't thank you enough for the help you've given me. And that made my day. Yeah, so that, that is fantastic. <laughs> so first, congratulations on, on being shortlisted, because that's amazing, and for it being your first book. And I was so excited. I wanted to run out and find the book that has not been published yet. So it, this is an award for unpublished books, I believe. Is that right? Yes, that's what I read. Yes. Okay. And, but, but I did find some clips of the book online on Max's website. And I, I read enough to know that I want to read the book when it comes out. So uh, the clips that she included uh, on the website were great. And I'll, I'll try and put a link to the website in the show notes, but that was, it was it, great to hear that. It was. And, um, if for some reason that link is not there and you go to the show notes and don't find it, just buzz us. Steve gets busy too, just like I do. And sometimes we forget things. So just remind I, us. We'll I send think it out. everyone in the world right now is forgetting things because everyone <laughs> in the world is in this crazy bizarro position. And, uh, it's like, I was talking to somebody yesterday and it's like, what day is it? And it was like a real question they were asking. And then I had to think about what day is it? What day is it? And it's, I, I I'm used to know. being like that. I'm, I'm used to not knowing what day it is, but it's like everyone in the world now 
is like, what day is it? Because, yeah. you know, I'm wearing my, am I wearing my Monday pajamas to work today? Or am I wearing <laughs> my Tuesday pajamas to work today? It is pretty nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. So we have a topic today and we're just going to get right into it. So let's cue the music. So today's topic is on the subject of never state what can be implied. And I did not coin that phrase. I ha- I'm not even sure where I learned it. I've, I've had it in my bank, uh, my knowledge bank, my writing knowledge bank, as far back as I can remember. And I, I thought that I had picked it up from Strunk and White um, Elements of Style. But when I went to Google to confirm, like, the to be able to attribute who was responsible for that, everything I found on Google attributes it to a cinematographer named James Wong Hao. But I had no idea who he was till I Googled, so I, I don't know. I, I'm guessing it came. I, I don't know where I learned it. But anyway, never state what can be implied. That's one of those maxims that it's always stuck with me, but I remember at the very very beginning not really being sure of what it meant. I mean, like so many things with writing, you understand it logically, you get what that means, but understanding it logically and understanding what it means in practice and principle on the page are two different things. And so recently, um, well, I was going through a draft, someone else's draft on some a different project that I'm working on, and uh, just more f- with editorial eyes. And I found myself frequently notating out words, phrases, and ideas with the word implied. Like, you don't need this, it's implied. And as I was commenting on that and thinking, like, anytime I see something show up in my own writing or someone else's writing, my first thought is, oh, this might be helpful to my listeners, right? And so as I'm commenting these things out and I'm looking at the frequency of how often I'm I'm using the word that's implied, not no, ne- no need to state it, things like that, um, it felt like I was standing at the top of a mountain and looking back and realizing like how far I'd climbed from this idea of knowing that phrase intellectually and not really having a concept of what it meant. And now here I am telling people, you don't need to say that. That's implied. That's unnecessary. That's redundant. But from that distance, like, I I didn't even sure, wasn't even sure how I got from point A to point Z. Like, how did I learn this? How, how do I know that this is unnecessary or implied? And so I realized that, well, there's probably a lot of people who are at the same stage I was where they know what it means, but they don't know what it means, that type of a thing. And then I was like, well, how do I break this down? Because it's one of these things that I just, I get it. I get it in concept as a whole and it's internalized. But as soon as I try and like explain it, it's like having to go backwards. And so I'm going to try and give that a try here. Um, And hopefully this will be useful to others in the way that I think it would be useful to the people that I was putting these comments to. Like if they had known these things, it might've been easier. So first there's the why to this, like why, 
where did this come from? Never state what can be implied. Why is that true? It is true, but why? And so when I was Googling for who to attribute the statement to and not being able to find what I thought I was going to find, I happened upon some material from the Gotham Writers Workshop. It's a book. And, you know, sometimes Google will turn up pages, like Google Books will turn up pages in the search, right? And the book itself is called The Gotham Writers Workshop, Writing Fiction, The Practical, Practical Guide from New York's Acclaimed Creative Writing School. And it's actually the first creative writing book I ever read. And there's a whole story to that. If you've ever been to one of my events, I talk about this book a lot. It, it's a very funny story. Um, and anytime I'm, but I'm not going to tell it here. Just don't have the time. Anytime I'm asked for a recommendation on a good creative writing book, that book, The Gotham Writers Workshop, is at the top of my list. And just revisiting this one page when I was doing this search, uh, it reminded me of how awesome that book is. So if you don't have a copy, you really should get one. I'm not getting anything for saying that. There's no affiliate links attached with this. It's just that good. And it's just get it, read it. It was essentially my writing Bible is all I had when I first started writing. And when I first read it, I didn't even understand half of it because same concept. You get the words on the page, but you don't understand what it means in practice. Right. So anyway, in there, there is a paragraph that summarizes this concept of never state what can be implied better than I can. So I'm going to borrow it here. And this is on, for those of you who might have a copy of this or who want to know where to hunt down more of this, it's from page 233, and it's in a chapter called Revision, Real Writers Revise, and under the subheading, congratulate yourself on graduating to the role of an editor. <laughs> and here's what they say. So much of what we state is implied. So much of what we've spelled out can be deduced or imagined. Remember, the reader wants to partake in the story. Do all their imagining for them, and they'll feel left out. Furthermore, the reader's imagination is a better writer than you or I will ever be, so why not let it do some of the work? So in my own words, when something is implied, it means we get it without having to be explicitly told. And if it's something we don't need to be explicitly told, then it means it was already obvious, right? So to be a little more brain-friendly and to put practical meaning to what this means, never state what can be implied, we can paraphrase it to don't state the obvious, right? So when we state what can be implied, that's exactly what we're doing. We're stating the obvious. And when we state the obvious, we're treating readers like they're stupid, like they have to be told what to think. And I have yet to meet a single person who enjoys being treated like they're dumb. And I have yet to meet a single person who doesn't love being considered smart. So when you avoid stating the obvious, you're basically telling your reader that you think they're smart. And every time they get something from what they're reading in your book that is not explicitly stated, they have an aha moment, right? Like, they get it. They're on the same page with you, and they're going to feel good about themselves. And we talked about this similarly um, a couple weeks back with, uh, or maybe it was even last week, with um, callbacks, using callbacks, and how when a reader recognizes the callback, it, it creates this bond or this, this, um, this connection like they're part of the inside gang. And it's kind of similar to that with 
implications and not coming right out and stating the obvious. And that when a reader gets it without having to be explicitly told, they're going to have that same, aha, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the in-group here and I get this. So don't take that away from them, right? Now, there is also a flip side uh, of, of going too over their heads, right? So I hear that a lot with my Liars books, Liars Legacy, Liars Paradox, that it was too complicated. Readers didn't, some, not all readers, just there's a segment of readership who's read them who just couldn't follow. And so I may have personally taken this, you know, don't state what can implied concept too far in an extreme, or I don't know, it could be an, a segment, audience segment thing, me thing, or say, I don't know which one it is, but I just know that it is possible to go too far to an extreme where it just feels a bit um, deliberately obfuscated, and that can make readers angry. So when I think about this subject of don't state what can be implied or don't state the obvious, there are two broad areas where I see it show up most often in books and manuscripts that I'm either reading for myself or reading as a side project, right? So the first is in spoken attributable dialogue, which was when it's said out loud and we know who's saying it. And in those types of instances, we tend to see the obvious show up more in a sense of one character telling another character what the reader needs to know. So it's not that we're stating the obvious to the reader, it's that one of the characters is stating what's obvious to another character. And then that's going to make whatever's being stated feel really forced and contrived or heavy-handed. And we've talked about that on other shows, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into that in depth here. But I just wanted to note it here as being one of the main issues that we'll see stating the obvious show up where it doesn't belong. The the other area where you, you tend to see it the most uh, is in narrative. And that's where it is going to have the biggest negative impact because that's where the author is essentially telling the reader they're too dumb to get it and they're going to over-explain. So in narrative, we tend to see it on multiple levels, like from, oh, that's more of a line editing type thing with unnecessary words, all the way up to you really didn't have to say that, they got it the first time type thing, right? So knowing that this is still kind of vague and nebulous and it's not helping for me to just talk about it, I kind of roughed together some examples of, and sorry, excuse the bad writing, but you know, do what I gotta do, um, to, to show what these are. So here's a couple, um, well, here's a sort of line editing example of what staying the obvious might look like on the page, right? So we just have to assume that there's context before and after this. This is just one line taken out of context, so just roll with me, right? So afterwards, her mind's still fuzzy and her reaction time off, Mary didn't trust herself to drive. Whatever happened before, she didn't trust herself to drive, right? So personally, in a, in a sentence like that, I would delete both instances of her in the second clause so that it read, afterwards, mind's still fuzzy and reaction time's still off, Mary didn't trust herself to drive. And that's because the two instances of her afterwards, her mind still fuzzy and her reaction time still off, those hers are implied by Mary didn't trust herself. We know who the her is, we know it's Mary. So in both instances, by saying her mind, her reaction time, they're 
essentially redundant space wasters. Like they say the same thing three times. So that's like the lowest level of stating the obvious. And that's really just line editing tweaks and stuff. Here's where we take it up a little bit of a notch, right? She gripped the tablet and began scrolling, searching through the list for their names on the touch screen. So here I would delete touch screen because in the surrounding context of this sentence, it's clear that this tablet is a digital device. So to anyone who knows what a digital device or a tablet looks like, which in this day and age is pretty much anybody who reads a book, touch screen is automatically implied by digital tablet. So you're just adding extra information that's completely unnecessary. It's like, in case you didn't know, she was using a touch screen and it's just unnecessary. It's wasted words and it clouds the it clouds the reading experience and you're going to have it just as clear by saying she gripped the tablet and began scrolling, searching through the list for their names. In fact, it's clearer that way than throwing on the touch screen at the end as if the reader didn't know what a tablet looked like. So those are kind of like the first type of narrative um, stating the obvious that are their line editing and a little bit heavier line editing, but it's still just it's it's tweaky stuff, right? The second type where it shows up in the narrative, and this is where we get a lot of that, no, 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 don't do that. This is where that comes into play. These happen when the author's kind of over-explaining things. And the effect is just like in real life when somebody keeps on talking, going back over the same stuff when you got it the first time. <laughs> it's how it feels as a reader, right? So here's a made-up, thrown-together example of that. Bobby stayed close, straying only to brush against the walls and gates. With each subtle connect, he set another explosive charge. Soon this place of captivity would be combustible. So in this example, the final sentence of soon this place of captivity would be combustible is an example of stating the obvious or stating what could be implied or over-explaining. However, it makes it easier for you to understand the concept, use any one of those. Through this the POV character's eyes were shown what Bobby is doing and then were outright told that he's setting explosives. So we don't also need to be told that the place is soon going to be combustible because isn't that the whole point of setting explosives? So stating the obvious, stating what can be applied, over-explaining, they're all different ways of saying that's redundant. And redundancy has the unfortunate effect of dulling the power of the information that it's repeating. So if we said Bobby stayed close, try, straying only to brush against the walls and gates, with each subtle connect, he set another explosive charge, that's all we need. We're good right there. We keep going with the story, right? But, and there's always a but on these things. Sometimes it actually really is necessary to state the obvious or to repeat information or clarify it. And especially if you're someone like me who tends to uh, go to the extreme on that. I write very sparsely. And when you write sparsely or you're going to the degree of not wanting to uh, over-explain things, there is that very real concern that 
you might underexplain, and then readers are going to miss stuff that's important. So sometimes you have to state the obvious because it's only obvious to you, the writer, or it's obvious to your characters, but it's not obvious to the reader. And so when you don't provide enough information, it has sort of an opposite, just as bad, but it's sort of an opposite impact where instead of readers feeling like, you're talking down to them or treating them like they're stupid, it feels like you're deliberately holding out on them or deliberately obfuscating, and then they get frustrated and angry. So what do you do when you're concerned that the obvious isn't actually obvious, right? And how how do you go about that? So here's what my solution is. And I'm not saying this is the only way. I'm not saying it's the right way. This is my way. Take, take it from it what you will. I find that the safest way to state the obvious is to do it through inner dialogue. And the reason for this is because contra- in contrast to spoken dialogue, where when you state the obvious, it feels really clumsy, heavy-handed. It just it, it doesn't work. And in contrast to actual narrative where staying the obvious feels condescending, like you think your your readers are too dumb to get it. When you state it, when you state the obvious through inner dialogue, it's the character that's taking that hit. Instead, it spares the reader. Does the reader? It doesn't feel personal to the reader. It's someone else taking that hit. Um, basically, they're taking a bullet, right? So it's not going to feel heavy-handed or clumsy or condescending because we're basically part of that character's discovery. We're hearing their thoughts as they reason something out, as they're, you know, how they feel about a certain thing or what they might know about a certain thing. You're not just telling the reader or, you know, repeating. It could be something that, um, and I do this a lot, it could be something that already came up multiple times. Like in, in my books, there's a lot of information being thrown out in ways that you don't know who the bad guys are, or you don't know, um, you don't know exactly what's happening and your character doesn't either, but it has already shown up. We just don't know what it means. And so there's this thing I use called, um, well, I, I don't know if it's a real term, but I call it a, a logic ladder, where we're walking the character through their logic that gets them from point A to point B. And often during those logic ladders is when I will come right out and state the obvious. Now, what this does is, if a reader's already understood that thing, then by having the character state it in their inner dialogue, then that now means that the reader and the character are on the same page. And so the reader gets this affirmation that they understood it correctly, and yeah, we're on the same team, right? If the reader hasn't already understood the thing, whatever it is, then they're learning it at the same time that the character is. So it's it's like a situation where someone who already got it isn't going to be annoyed by getting it again because it's not like it's directed at them. It's the character. And somebody who didn't get it will have that sort of aha moment that, ah, I get where the character is going with this. And and so either way, it works, but they're completely blind. The reader's completely blind to the author's true intent. And the author's true intent is to basically state the obvious and say, here's what you might have missed. 
here's what's really going on. Here's something you might not have considered, but the author's completely invisible in this. Um, and that's really what good storytelling is all about, that the author is invisible, that it's the, the story is so alive and the characters are so alive that it, it feels real. So letting the character take that hit, I find, is the, the easiest and the best solution for stating the obvious if and when the obvious truly does need to be stated. That's okay. all I got on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I have a question. All right. Yeah. So we kind of defined these as level one and level two. And in level two, there's over-explaining, which, which you described, and then there's under-explaining, which you also described. But how do we know when we have... Is, is, there's, there has to be a fine line between those two things, that the, the perfect uh, path through those things is something that would be easy to miss. Is, uh, is, is there an obvious way to, to say, oh, yeah, this, I have clearly over-explained this, or, wow, I'm not sure people are really going to get this. I need to build a logic ladder or, or you know, go on to that next step. Well, I don't know that we can ever say that there is one perfect way or you know a path, because even if you, the author, feel that you got it right, there's still going to be readers that don't feel that way. So we already know that you can never write something that's going to appeal to everybody or that you know is just going to be 100% understood. Like there's times that I've written stuff that I have been completely baffled by how readers took what they took from that. I thought I was being perfectly clear. And a lot of readers would get it, and then the whole other half of them would think something completely different. And I'm just, like, mind blown. And I, and I learned that very early on, that the words on the page and what I say are never going to mean the same thing to two different people, because that's just the way that the reading experience is. So... Because of that, it's really impossible to say, here's how you know this. Here's how you tell. Because it's going to be different for every single person, every single voice, every single genre, what have you. The expectations. Like, there's some people who write very um, very fast and just don't go into a lot of detail. And that's their style and that's what their readers are, have come to ex expect. So if someone who has that type of voice and that type of audience were to come around and then start withholding information because they're trying not to state the, the obvious, their audience is going to freak out because they're used to having the obvious stated for them. And now their brains are having to think too hard. So everything Everything that we talk about, with very few exceptions, is situational, right? And when I talk about not stating the obvious, I'm I'm talking to authors who are trying to up their game to 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 really improve their craft. They're not writing for speed; they're writing for quality. And in that case, that's where this really, really matters. Is it's, it's a quality thing, not a quantity thing. So, how do you tell? And, and that's where I, I choke because how I couldn't tell once upon a time. And now I look back and I'm just like, get this out of here. Get this out of here. It's staying the obvious. It's implied, right? It's all part of the line editing exercises that we do. And so I think, I think if I had to say, like, what's something that you can catch yourself doing this is I'd be asking myself, why are you, why are you saying this? Like, 
when when you're going like obviously on your first draft, just write, just write the damn thing, get it out. Don't even try and self-edit. Just just get it done. But when you are coming back over for your revisions, and that's what this is about. It's it's rewriting, it's redrafting, it's revisioning. When you're looking at these things, it's a sense of, is this the first time we're hearing this? No. Well, when, where have we heard this before? Why why am I saying this? What what's my intent? Am I trying to make the character look smart? Am I afraid that the character that the readers don't understand? And it's just it's just trying to see it through fresh eyes. Like, what if I didn't already know this? Would, would I still need to know it? Do I need to have it told to me twice if this is the first time that I'm hearing it? And it, I think it just comes from experience. It's, it's like a lot of the stuff we talk about on this show that once you're aware of it, then you become aware of it and you start seeing it. But until then, you don't. And then the more you see it, the more familiar you become with it, the more you notice it in other people's writings. Think about the times that the obvious has annoyed you. Like, you know, it just seems so cheesy. that it, That's always a sign for me that something is being... Um, is out of character or is being too clumsily stated is when it feels cheesy. And and then I'll go back and relook at it to try and find out what it is I'm doing that is making it feel that way. And now you know that, you know, stating the obvious, stating what could be implied is in that quiver of, hey, is this a fix-it tool that I can look at to pare this down, edit this out, clean it up? And it's not um, it's not, maybe it's not the character. Maybe it's that I've over explained too much, that type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And you, in, in, in the level one information, you, we talked about redundancy and then you talked about, uh, unnecessary explanation. And, and the, in, in the example you gave about the explosion, there was a sentence at the very end that was redundant. And I have found myself when I go back to read what I've written yesterday and I go through it, I find like two or three of those sentences at the end of paragraphs that are just totally redundant like that. So it's just like this extra eight words to explain what the whole paragraph was about. And it's just like, okay, I don't know why that's there, but it doesn't belong there. So it it just, I take it out. But it was interesting that it was exactly the same scenario where it's like this sentence at the end of, at the end of a paragraph, essentially, where you're just kind of stating the obvious. Yes. And remember, like a couple of weeks back, we talked about how sometimes less is more, right? Yes. So it, it can fall under that same umbrella of less is more in just a more specific version of it. And in my own um, editing, I've often found that sometimes the easiest way to solve issues that don't seem to be working, I'm not talking about plot issues, but like on a structural level, level sentence, um, uh, paragraph order, when there's multiple thoughts that are, I'm trying to join together into a clean stream of, um, of content, that sometimes the solution is deletion. Not all of it, but mm-hmm. if, if I can't find a way to make it work, sometimes it's because I'm trying to find a way to make too much work. And that we don't have to have every single thought or every single explanation and by just deleting it it's still still okay it's we're not missing anything so um it's it's crazy to me how much you can solve by deleting stuff <laughs> <laughs> 
So true. All right. I don't mean to state the obvious, but we are out of time. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> and that was pretty obvious. That was, that was an obvious transition there. So thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, we will be back in your ear again next Tuesday. See you guys next week.